are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine at Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter. If this is your first time listening, chances are it's how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, as I like to say, welcome back. And for the first time, not with me as always, is Derek. Derek is not here. He is a bit under the weather. But we do have our usual third guy here, and that's Mr. John Reed. At JR Tweets Tennis is where you can find him on Twitter. He does betting content for his own brand at Tibbetts Tennis, at Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and now he's doing tennis form recaps. This guy is a tennis writer extraordinaire, and he's he's back from London town. John, welcome uh, back. Yeah, excited to be back. Let's get back into it. And uh, with us once again uh, is Avery Zimmerman, who kindly stepped in to, to fill in for Derek. He was with us last week and back this week. He's an editor for the Action Network. Uh, he runs the Action Tennis product over there and uh, the soccer as well. You can find him at a Zimmerman underscore one. Avery, thanks for hopping on and joining us once again. Sure. Thanks again for having me. I'm like uh, the alternate in the draw. <laughs> hopping in. Hopefully performing well. Let's do uh, our quick recap. As this is a betting podcast, you need to be transparent, and we'd like to do so here. So let's go over winners and losers for us. Things were breaking great for my guy, Holger Runa in Acapulco. Had him to win uh, last week. That was my take. Uh, He trounced Berrettini and made him quit. Berrettini said he was injured. I don't know about that one. (laughs) Um, Was up a set in the semis against uh, Alex Dimonor, and then his body broke down. Once again, an ADM goes on to beat Tommy Paul in three sets to cash as a double-digit futures outright there. Congrats to all who had that ticket. Saw some people out there on the timeline had that one. Avery correctly predicted this was a great chance to beat Novak in Dubai, which Medvedev did. I had Novak still pulling it out, so a loss for me there. We didn't have an outright for Santiago. A deeper dive in Acapulco. I had Nakashima to cover three against Altmaier, and he did cash it. We were all over Fritz to beat Shapo, of course. His money line, the two games laying those, and 2-0 we talked about. Those all cashed. We liked the under 20 and a half with Big Foe versus Felly, uh, but got hooked with a tiebreak set. Uh, that's a loss. And then I love Rude to dust Taro Daniel, cover the four, winning straights. And uh, of course, he lost in three. Conditions and form really played a part in that one. Very hot in Acapulco last week. Humid. Humid, I would say, rather. Bo Paul was a push thanks to Mo's retirement. Hopefully, he's on the mend. Uh, certainly a guy live in this draw to win a couple matches over in dubai Derek correctly had adf plus four versus rublev cash it chorch money line cash bodic money line cash i faded the five and a half with greek sport versus novak cash that o'connell plus three and a half against Zverev couldn't get there Zverev goes 35 of 39 on first serve in that one mm-hmm. to cover and uh, we like mm-hmm. faa versus senego and uh which then we, we actually our whole handicap was shitting on faa <laughs> so i don't know why we didn't lean into that but uh he did us wrong once again and then i said last week that uh probably won't get a season two of breakpoint which announced today we will be i think the looming strike in hollywood probably has something to do with that gotta fill the content airwaves of netflix with something there we have it boys any outstanding thoughts john you were gone uh last week any i'm sure you were still watching some tennis any uh, hangover thoughts from last week yeah i had senego in the over in that one i wrote that one up so nice. i'm like damn they took faa uh but like i had that <laughs> I, I wasn't here though so it doesn't count i guess but yeah no um I didn't see a whole hell of a lot, man. I was touring and and during the day and meeting up with friends at night and drinking and footy and yeah. So Avery, you have any uh, thoughts since we've uh, last been on the mics about last week? Yeah, not, nothing huge. Just I think good spot to take players that were in the Acapulco conditions. And I guess we'll talk more about this, but going to be a lot more similar to Indian Wells than Dubai was. Even Santiago, I would say, is more similar to Indian Wells than Dubai was. Mm-hmm. So interested to see how that um, plays out with players coming from different places. But one one playing very similarly to what we'll see in uh, in the desert. That's Go the ahead. one thing I had I had from last week. I hit a bunch of outrights for like the first time ever last week. So that was cool. Um, I will say I had Vekic. I had that's WTA. I forget where ATP. I had Hadi quarter, Hadi outright. And then I had Medvedev quarter, but I I, I kind of pushed out on the outright. But I got the, it was like minus 165, which was nuts because I think his rollover line ended up at like minus 200 at best, minus 225. So uh, that's the one thing I did enjoy last week. Paid for some drinks in London town. So um, hopefully we can, I can do that again this week. Well, let's hop right into it and get to the desert. Uh, the 2023 Indian Wells tournament, 125 miles east of Los Angeles in the Coachella Valley is tennis paradise. The Indian Wells 
tennis garden where this tournament has been held since 2000. The tournament itself goes back to 1987 here in Indian Wells. The first leg of the Sunshine Double, along with Miami to follow, was played on mud slow, eye-bleedingly slow hard courts. Uh, former tour pro Tommy Haas is a tournament director. Uh, if Derek was here, he would. Uh, he, he has some Tommy Haas thoughts. <laughs> uh, but I'll let him speak for himself on those. Um, there's three main courts here, Stadium 1, Stadium 2, which are legit stadiums, and then t- Stadium 3, which is more like a grandstand, and then there's uh, six outer courts. Uh, past champions, Taylor Fritz won last year, uh, a match we went over <laughs> A lot last week uh, with Avery, uh, he beat Nadal. Fritz had a good run the prior year as well, making it to semis. Cam Nori won in 2021 uh, when they had it in October. Dominic Team beat Federer in three sets to win in 2019. Juan Martin Del Potro won in 2018, also beating Fed in three. And the big three pretty much dominated every year, dating back to 2004, except for 2011, when Ivan Lubacic won. <laughs> I gave that my best attempt on that one. Taylor Fritz had an interesting take on these conditions um, that when you combine the slow hard courts and the conditions at night, you really have to alter your playing style. He said, quote, I'd say this tournament probably has the biggest difference in speed from whether you're playing during the day or during night. I don't think there's any tournaments like it. There's going to be a difference. It's going to be slower at night because we're in the desert. It's so dry. It moves so fast through the air during the day. Then also because it's the desert, you get so thick and cold at night. It's like playing two different tournaments at night. Good luck hitting a winner. And I think also these balls get so chewed up. If you're six or seven games in right before the ball change, I almost feel like it's not even worth trying to go for a winner because it's not going to go anywhere. So open it up to you guys about uh, the conditions here. Yeah, I think one thing I would say, I think essentially saying it plays quicker during the day and it's noticeably different and there's a big difference. Okay, but did he say it was fast there during the day? He said it moves through the air quickly. I think this is more of a, it's still slow during the day and it's just mud slow at night. Like impossible to hit a winner slow at night. I'd, I'd take that with, like, I wouldn't start handicapping as a quick court during the daytime um, just because, you know, Fritz had that that quote. Uh, obviously, I think most courts are going to play quicker during the day. Sunlight, the heat, it slickens the courts up a bit. Makes sense. But, like, I'm not going to be going out and, um, you know, looking at at players that fare well on quick courts that hate, like, Alexander Bublik and changing my whole handicap because he's playing in the middle of the afternoon. I think that's how I'd take it. I'd also say that servers shouldn't be necessarily overlooked because there's a lot of players and you kind of got to think about it and game style wise that actually don't mind the slower courts because they got enough power to get through them but the slower conditions allow them to set up their shots more gives them more time to set up their shots so uh guys like john isner who's who's won miami before not to be overlooked although he's older now on the women's side people like yelena ostapenko there's certain players that uh i do believe uh, that slow conditions can actually help them out, even though they're more of a, p- a power-centric uh, kind of style. So it's not just automatically downgrade your power players. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what John said there. I would note uh, even more than Isner is someone like Riley Opelka or players that can hit huge kick um, because these courts are so gritty. So like he said, it's going to be slow all the time. I guess it'll get super slow at night, but always slow. And always super gritty. So the ball is going to be hopping a lot. Uh, that's why conditions are really good for Alcaraz. I don't know. I don't think he's announced if he is actually playing or not yet. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But it makes a lot of sense why he, he does really well in Miami and Indian Wells. Uh, and players like Opelka, like John talked about, um, even though they're big servers and typically struggle off the ground, have a little bit more time and get so much purchase on their serves anyway that it's it's okay for them those are the conditions on the surface uh, weather-wise uh, looks pretty great thankfully it's been kind of weird out here in california uh it snowed here in pasadena uh, recently <laughs> so but that seems to be over now it'll be in the 70s to low 80s over the course of the tournament uh, some clouds uh, but low winds and uh, not much chance of rain so good good conditions uh, in terms of the weather for us over this uh, little fortnight um i guess it's not a fortnight technically it's uh, it's uh, what about 10 days fortnight is hey, two qualies weeks. count qualies count it's a fortnight <laughs> all right there you go all right well let's dig into some outright and quarter talk here it's a true the parents are gone 1000 event there's no nadal no Novak. So this is uh, truly up for grabs. I'll go over uh, some of the shorter ones, which is uh, Medvedev at 3-1, to one, Alcaraz at 6-1, to one, Sitsipas is plus 750. I think we're probably all in agreement that there's no value on Medvedev at 3-1. to one. I only see 2-1, to one, which makes, yeah, even more so. I think and that also provides value on other guys too, right? I mean, Medvedev is a guy who's not going to lose to scrubs on hard courts as slow as they are. 
but he's never made it past the quarters here or in Miami. I looked this up earlier. I might have missed one, but I mean, he it's it's fourth round quarterfinals more often than not. Uh, so, yeah, I'd look to fade with even the chalkiest players in the top half. You can get 10, 15, 20 to ones. Uh, that's probably the, you know, you can avoid his half and get big double digit numbers on some of the favorites. Like this is the time to take chalk if you if you like the chalk. Yeah, for the most part, I agree. I think I'd be cautious with Carlos because we don't know his health status. But I suppose if he's playing, then then he's got to be in good shape. His price would certainly be a lot better than Daniil's. Uh, yeah, I have uh, Alcaraz plus 600 from uh, DraftKings, and uh, I'll I'll make a case for that being a pretty good value. We're getting a bit, a bit of a dip in price, I think, because of an injury. He might not even play. But if he does play, I, you know, I'm... <laughs> if a guy's playing, I don't uh, consider the injury any longer. <laughs> no more in tennis. Will I be fooled by a pre-match uh, injury? I will just <laughs> take the player as fully health. So, I mean, if he's fully healthy and announces he's going to play that i feel like that number is going to come down yeah i would i would i would counter that with it kind of depends on the player i think i totally agree with that general consensus with the pre-match injuries but i don't think a guy like carlos is really um fibbing anything for the most part i think he's pretty transparent he doesn't have anything to gain that much from from bsing and he did fly to acapulco uh but this is actually a great point you brought up though uh dave just because if you look at the numbers there in that first quarter, the two seeds have a beautiful draw or a beautiful path in both the two top seeds. Sorry, there's more than two seeds, but you know what I mean. Felix uh, and Alcaraz. If Alcaraz is hurt, Felix is 17 to 1 is a ridiculous number. If Alcaraz is hurt and he's in the opposite half of Medvedev. If Alcaraz is not hurt, his 6 to 1 is a ridiculous number. I think both those numbers look pretty good right off the hop in general. So I would just take both of them. And either way, you've got one number that is going to come way down. If Alcaraz pulls out Felix's number plummets, if he plays and he's healthy, you know, his number is is value and if he plays and he's hurt, then, you know, that's going to be apparent as soon as that they reopen that uh outright market after the the, the second round for the third round, you're still going to have huge value and a good number on Felix. I think that's the best way to attack that cuz you're right. The health is a concern, but either way, you know, you have a good number regardless of whether he's healthy or whether he's hurt if you just take those two uh, in that section or in that quarter. Yeah, and his path is, is pretty good. I mean, FAA, Tommy, Hubie, those are like his, you know, his big hurdles to get uh, deep into this thing. And I, I if he's healthy, he's, I think he's going to probably be all those guys. Now, if he is hurt, you know, you mentioned FAA. Busta is uh, 16 to 1 for the quarter price. I mean, when you look at Jack Draper having the same odds as Busta, I think there might be a little bit of, of value on the seed, the other seeded player there compared to the young Brit, who obviously is talented, but, you know, a little unproven if you're just going to uh, iron up the numbers here. Another number I think it's worth talking about is uh, Sitsipas at plus 750. His quarter price is plus 175. I don't hate either of those. Um, his biggest hurdles are Rublev and Nori. And uh, I think he's pretty live to beat both of those guys. Um, yeah. And, and when we're talking about the futures market, you can kind of discount this a little bit. But I think there's a lot of unknown with just about everyone that you mentioned. We haven't seen Draper and Karina Busta in a while. A lot of unknown about the health of some guys like Felix, for example, was nursing something in Dubai at the end. Even Nori, I guess. How fatigued is he? He's had a week off, so pretty fit guys so should be OK. But Maybe you get a little bit of juice on these prices, just not knowing the physical status of a lot of these guys. Yeah, and uh, with Sitsi Pass, I think conditions are great. His one issue, I think, in the past was was dealing with Medvedev, grinding and grinding, grinding. But he started to come, I think he started to come to net more in the last few matches against Medvedev. He does that. I mean, he's going to be more comfortable. Medvedev gets frustrated in these super slow conditions. This is perfect for Sitsi Pass. Medvedev's not hammering ground strokes into his backhand. He can do it with the first serve. And it's big enough to get through that slow court. But other than that, like the backhand isn't going to be rushed. The same thing goes within his section. I mean, Nori has won this before, like slower conditions. The top spin forehand's going to play. All those things are great. But does he have the weapons to to really hurt Pass? I don't see it. Does he have, you know, he's got the lefty forehand, but it's spinny and it's, you know, kind of pushy. It's not so pacey. It doesn't really rush it, it, cross court. And he doesn't rush that backhand when he goes cross court. So uh, Pass has a really nice draw, whether it be through guys that don't like slow courts, like Tiafo, who's an all surface player, but obviously has, has done better in the past on like quicker hards. Uh, Berrettini has definite concerns over his injuries. Rublev has not been in good form this year. Shapovalov is Dennis Shapovalov. And I mean, I'm not, you know, predicting him to to all of a sudden develop tennis IQ and point construction in the span of five days. This is, you know, Dimitrov is a little more volatile than him. 
He this is a super good draw for Stefano Sitsipa. And I think he would I like I I play him head to head with Medvedev because he's obviously going to be a dog with Medvedev's form right now if they if they met. And I mean it, it's a good matchup in in conditions that suit him more than say Australia would, right? It's a complete reverse on the Australian court speeds. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Nori. I'll, I'll jump to his number next, which is 35 uh, to 1 outright and plus 650 for his quarter. Hot player, former champ. His biggest hurdles are Berrettini, Rublev, Tsitsipas, uh, like we mentioned. Uh, I I mean, I, I'm not really expecting anything from Berrettini until I see it. Rublev uh, has uh, bested Nori uh, in the past. And Nori actually, though, creamed Tsitsipas in similar conditions in Acapulco last year. Now, who knows what kind of mindset Tsitsipas was in. He was kind of having fun playing doubles with Feli that tournament. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> what to take away from that one but at 35 to 1 outright plus 650 for the quarter i mean if we talked about in the last podcast he was the wave of the week he's a hot player and those aren't bad numbers and he is a former champ by the way on that note shout out to felly i was looking good in acapulco last week he was looking he was looking fit even against tiafo <laughs> we, were, we were saying tiafo maybe he was gonna blow him out of the water talking about spread or total but um credit to felly 40 41 41 years young and looking good those those hands are so good yeah, he was ripping on serve uh, to get to that tie break. Another player we should probably talk about is uh, Taylor Fritz, who is the defending champion. He's 22 to 1, which has been hanging around for a long time and has not moved. I thought by this time it would be a little bit shorter, but it's not. I don't know if that's a product of him gassing out last week, a little bit of an uneven year so far. But I thought he'd be under. Tw- I mean, he obviously plays really well in this tournament. I thought he'd be under the 20 mark going into this but uh i was wrong on that one but he does have a pretty tough road i mean he might get ben shelton next he's got chorich uh demonor and then center aruna in the quarters if we're talking about you know some of these other names we mentioned so far i feel like he's got a more treacherous road to, to get back to the top yeah i think you just explained that price when you were looking at the draw that that is a brutal group of players to be getting through just to get to the semis it's really for me it's just runa uh, because to me, like it's it's Sinner, Runa, and Kitchmanovich. I don't trust. I don't care. Demonor, you had two good wins to to win a five hundred. Like, don't give me he just won a five hundred, bro. You beat you beat Runa, who was cramping up, and what was his other win? The Tommy Paul. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So decent, two good wins. I can't take that from him. But like, don't tell me that he's now a five hundred champion and in form, bro. You beat Taro, Daniel, Jacopo, Berrettini. And I think it's Rodrigo Pacheco Mendez. I don't even know his first. Yeah, it is. He'd be a teenager. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then you were down a set to both Paul and Runo, who both broke down in the third sets. Little bit of context. I I'm, I think Fritz has a, a pretty nice path to the semis, but then it does it. Or, or sorry, the quarter. But then it does get really tough with you know Runa Alcaraz and then potentially like a Sitsi pass in the final. It's a bitch at the end, and I think you might actually get a decent price on a rollover um, versus. I only get a I only have a thirteen to one or a fifteen to one available to me and i a couple of my books that usually have outrights up don't have them up because of that Alcaraz question so yeah I, I don't mind fritz's path to at least a quarter from there it gets a bit tougher i think demon you're underselling a little bit there they actually played i don't know if it was last year or two years ago yeah it was last well, year seven, seven six seven you know yeah, he seven had, five in the breaker too i, he I had think, him yeah and and i think he's just really tough when you have to hit ball after ball after ball and so you talk about those fitness concerns, you know, he, he took advantage of those players, but I think you got to give him a little bit of credit because he's just in such great shape, can play ball after ball after ball. And I, I agree, it wasn't the most impressive run per se, but his fitness held up really well. So I, I'd really be interested in a Fritz versus Demonar matchup. Yeah, I remember that match because I had the 100 to 1 on Fritz. <laughs> and I was, and he was basically never ahead in that match uh, because he was down a set. And then I'm pretty sure demon like looked a lot better in that third set. And I was like, Oh man, really? This is how I lose it to demon hour on a slow court ends up winning it. But yeah, that was, that was a little scary. And I guess, yeah, the grind is there. He just doesn't have many uh, things to, to hit through the courts or his opponents. So it's predicated on his opponents kind of not being that great. Yeah, definitely light on weapons for sure. Let's talk about Holger Runa. Obviously, he was my hot pick last week. He's coming in at 20 to 1 outright, plus 450 for his quarter. Uh, we're likely staring down a center Runa round four, and center is nine to one compared to the the twenty to one outright. Bit of a value on the quarter as well at plus four fifty versus plus two hundred. Equal injury concern for both players who are uh, obviously fragile. What do we think about Runa? And his chances here, John. You you've yeah. usually been the Runa guy on this podcast. Uh, I played your role last week, uh, but he <laughs> has been uh, he has not been coming through for us. Man, that top ten finish. He had a terrible like start to last year too. 
Uh, look, that that top 10 number I, that I got, pre, I still love that. These are his conditions, but he's starting to revert back to what we saw a year before he went on his his runs late in the late the year last year. That cramping starting to come back, and it's always been a concern. Don't know what it is, but uh, I'm hoping it. Uh, look, twenty over twenty to one has to be there has to be some sort of value there. Like that is that is a big undervaluation of one of the most talented young guns in the world who likes slow conditions. I'm just not convinced by the form right now. And like I said, I've got Runa to finish ahead of Shapovalov and Sinner, which is like halfway home already because Shapo's doing nothing. And Runa top 10 tickets for season-long futures. I'm good just sticking with those and cheering for him and seeing if I can find individual uh, match prices to attack versus uh, any kind of outright here. He is number eight in the world, I believe, now. So, okay, I got two more here that we'll go through, which is Tommy Paul. I'm one of the hottest players in 2023. AO semifinalist, Acapulco finalist, and uh, outlasting Fritz last week in a, a grueling, very weird match in Mexico. You know, if Alcaraz is hurt, his only big hurdles to reach the quarters are Hubie, F.A., and Busta, or Evans and Greekspore on the, the other side of the bracket are the seeds that he play in the quarters. I mean, man, like he can, he's pretty live. He's eight to one uh, to win his quarter, 65 to one outright. He's playing well. And these are courts that uh, should suit him. I, I think there's some value on the, the eight to one quarter for sure. I mean, 65 to one outright, uh, it's also like a pretty nice bomb. What do you guys think about Mr. Paul? Yeah, these are some huge numbers across the board. Makes me think that Daniil, I guess, will just dominate everyone and, and take it as the as the three to one or two to one favorite, <laughs> as it usually goes. But yeah, another another decent spot for Tommy. Tough after a long week of tennis, but benefited by the fact that he has some days off. Really nice conditions for him. You have to like his 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 spot in the quarter, like you said. Out, outright, it's gonna be tough because it's just so much tennis. But at sixty five to one, that's for sure a good number. I'm I'm laying off Tommy here, but like Avery said, Daniil's price being so kind of depressed or or inflated or deflated, whichever way you want to think about it, it, it's leading to so many guys being enticing. You could have you could be having a punt on like 15 different guys and consider it consider them all good bets. And then that's what I said to, earlier today. I said he's never gone past a quarter at these events. Now he'll do it, of course, but it doesn't make those bad bets. Like they're still good bets uh, at these numbers. But of course, Daniel will end up walking through his first ever <laughs> super slow core masters. You just know it's coming. All right, last one I'll go through here is Casper Rude, who obviously looks like he stinks right now. Um, but he's eight to one for his quarter. I mean, it's not the most like uh it's not the toughest quarter. I mean, Nishioka, Fukina are the seeds uh in his side of the bracket. Obviously, you're hoping for a, a Medvedev, you know, upset along the way here. But uh, conditions, again, should should suit Mr. Rude. And uh, he certainly depressed that number compared to uh, what it would have been you know, hot off the heels of the USO last year. Not a guy that I'm feeling super good about right now based on his form, but probably a good buy low spot for Rude. He will definitely be aided by these conditions as well. Uh, made the fourth round in 2021, I believe, lost to Diego. And then third round last year. Lost to Nick Curious. Very tough matchup, but very good conditions for him. Like you said, he'll be favored in those matches. I think Yoshi's very tough. Davidovich, Fakina, also probably very tough in these conditions. Uh, but that being said, definitely a good buy low on Casper. He simply can't play any worse than he did he did last week. So maybe if he gets some confidence, uh, he'll start really clicking. Yeah, I mean, I think... Yeah. Go ahead, John. Sorry. No, I was just saying, I don't think he's losing to Diego this year, which is a potential, what, second <laughs> rounder, I think. No. <laughs> I, I think with, you know, the big guys uh, being gone and, and Novak, Nadal, you know, you do have some flexibility with these numbers where if you do get in on a good price, like a, a rude eight to one, suddenly he's, you know, super deep uh, into this thing. You know, there's got to be ways to monetize that ticket, uh, either, you know, fading him or, or, or getting out on it. So, you know, taking a few flyers uh, at some of these guys in these numbers uh, gives you a chance to uh, to cash in uh, later on, even if you, you can't cash that original ticket. All right, guys, well, let's move into some uh, round one best bets here. We have some things coming on the board, and I'll, I'll kick us off. And you can tell me I'm crazy here because I, I might be putting my clown makeup on a little bit uh, <laughs> right now with this pick. But I'm going to take uh, my guy Ilya Ivashka, Moneyline, at minus 107 against uh, Roman Sefillian. Now, this might sound crazy to be a leadoff best bet as Ivashka is riding a nine-match losing streak dating back to last year. But to me, it's a great spot to, to get back on track on slower conditions against a serve-oriented Russian who tends to thrive indoors or quicker conditions. Ivashka is a little more rally-tolerant, 
suited for these conditions. We've seen him excel on slower hard courts uh, in North America. Winston Salem, he had a good run a couple of years ago. If it wasn't for the losing streak, I think Ivashka is probably somewhere in the minus 150 or higher range. I'll take a shot at a return to form here uh, with the slight dog price on Ivashka. Any, any thoughts on this, guys? Hard pass on this match. <laughs> yeah, generally good good rule of thumb is to not back guys that are on nine game losing streaks. So I wish you the best of luck and I hope you come out with a win. Yeah. I mean I get the rationale. I actually I don't disagree with it at all. But I got other I got other money burning underdogs that I like. So I'll <laughs> I'll I'll save my money to be burnt on other no chance uh, underdogs. Honestly, it was the first number that that jumped out to me on the board. <laughs> so I was like, I'm I'm, I'm putting it. And then uh, another uh, dicey one because we're I'm backing again a, a player who hasn't <laughs> been on the scene, but uh, Gail Monfils is um, a plus one twenty one dog against Jordan Thompson. Uh, we haven't seen the Frenchman since August eleventh of twenty twenty two in Montreal, but at this very tournament last year, he beat Medvedev in three, including a six one third set. Thompson uh, just won an indoor challenger a couple weeks ago, so his serve is seemingly in form, but on these courts. It'll only take him so far. Even if Montfils is like 60% of who he is, I, I, I'll i take Montfils as a, a dog here every day of the week and not feel bad about it. That, those are the two cardinal rules. Nine match losing skids and players who haven't played in like almost a year. Broken on the first two bets. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm, I think I, yeah, I almost yeah. want to take Thompson. Like I, he sucks on slow courts and it's reflected in this price. The guy hasn't played since August. And he's only plus 120. Tells you where Thompson is on slower courts, but geez, on principle, on principle, I want to take Thompson here. Would agree with John more so that uh, it's typically another good rule to fade players that are coming off long layoffs. There's a fitness issue on the slower courts. I mean, he he should, in theory, let's say Monfils is healthy. He'd be a big favorite here, like we talked about. But on principle, Thompson's maybe a better play. He, he does have decent kick. Thompson does. So... Perhaps that helps him out a bit, but these are very poor conditions for Thompson. I would say if Thompson loses the first, I think that's probably a good spot to get behind him at two to one, two point five to one ish range, just to to test a little bit of Monfils's fitness. I wouldn't take anything pre match. That's fair. I am running the fire with these picks, but those are two. <laughs> I... <laughs> two prices I really like. I don't care. I, I, I sometimes you got to buck conventional wisdom uh, and, and just go what feels right to you. Avery, since you have to head out here pretty soon, uh, do you have any uh, bets you're looking at? The one spot that looked pretty solid to me was Giron over Kovacevic. Kovacevic around minus 145. Kova's a really good player and definitely deserves this wild card. I'm not sure these are the conditions that will suit him. Giron's very, very rally tolerant, has performed well here in the past has shown he's comfortable win slow a little bit tougher for for Kovacevic and I think this is a bit underpriced on Giron I'd probably put him around minus 180 to, to minus 200 yeah total agreement actually that's one of my favorite bets on the board for the men look Marcos probably likes quicker conditions more but there's degrees there's levels to this as the <laughs> kids say but like he doesn't mind the slower conditions as much as Kova will he's like Avery said, more rally tolerance. I think he's got the ability to play out those longer points much more effectively. Doesn't have, they both, I guess, are fairly flat hitters, but like he can play with more net clearance, play with more margin for error and be just fine with it. He can also, if Kova does hit a red line uh, and is hitting through the courts, he is a guy who can track, uh, or has good ball retrieval. It's been the Michael Mose that trouble him, as we saw in Acapulco. Like when he can't hit through the courts and he's playing a defender, he goes like it drives him nuts. He was so mad at himself that night. Started overhitting in that second set and was just screaming after every point. This is a perfect spot for him, and not because he loves slow courts, but because Kovacic just doesn't have the game for it. I would one hundred percent agree. This has to be closer to minus two hundred um, than where it's at right now. Well, I think anyone that listens to this podcast knows I'm a Garon guy, so I can't argue. <laughs> can't argue. Right, there's the kiss of death. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, the one the one thing that kind of plagues Marco sometimes, I think he's really solid, and there's a reason he's you know at the stage that he is around 50 in the world, is a little bit of nervy problems um, against Katsmanovic really collapsed. I remember in Del Rey, and I think sometimes he has these big issues with uh, getting a little bit tight. But against worse players, I don't really think he has as much of a problem with it because he's so tolerant from the baseline that it may be a little bit easier on him. And Kovacevic who is so talented, also has issues in clutch spots, notoriously. So I, I really like on there. I think his big win uh, is he beat uh, Kashmanovic in Tokyo uh, last fall. 
Kovacevic. Yeah, those. Yeah, he got all nice, the nice big size. quick courts. Yeah, yeah. Those Asian courts in the in heat, and they just play faster in general. Shanghai, Tokyo, yeah. Beijing. In the past, they play really quickly. It's perfect for them. Australia should be good form in the future as well. Even the U.S. Open, those medium, sometimes medium quick. They slowed them down for a couple of years. They brought them back. That should be decent for them. But yeah, not here. Uh, any other bets you like, uh, Avery? You know, the first round is a bit surprisingly full of odd matchups that seem not Masters 1000 quality, like Schwartzman Coria, especially right now. You know, I want to say Michael Moe at minus 110 against Talese, but who knows what he looks like after that injury last week. I'm just glad he's playing, I guess. I thought he did something really bad to his knee. Uh, conditions would be really, really bad for Alise, so don't really have a play there. But I think once we get a little bit deeper into this tournament, it's going to get a little bit more open in terms of the matchups that you kind of want to attack uh, or see a little bit more value in. But a, a lot of these matchups are are very, very odd for a, a first round at a Masters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's got me out here uh, throwing conventional wisdom aside right. with my lead off <laughs> <laughs> my lead off bets uh the slate is a, a bit tough i think uh for a, a best bets uh, uh mentality or a best bets segment uh it's more like things i, I wanted to call it things i like <laughs> um but anyway john do you have any i'll kick it back to you before i go back to mine do you have any uh bets you want to talk about i think lazo jetta against oscar ota is one as like for favorites if before we get to the dog bombs uh, i kind of like lazo Obviously not a hard quarter. Obviously had that run in Winston-Salem, though. The slower courts uh, should be okay for him. Minus 165-ish, I think. Look, Ota has not looked great in Delray. I don't think he looked great. I think he played Acapulco. There might have been an injury in there. He needs quicker courts. It's a serve forehand. He's not a great mover. Doesn't have much variety. It is power-centric. That's not going to work at Indian Wells. The other thing is Laszlo DeGere on, on hard courts, the one thing he does really well, or he that he can actually attack with, is the inside-out forehand. Well, where's that going? It's going right into that Oscar Ota back, which is a massive liability. I think matchup-wise, court speed-wise, form-wise, like Jared's coming from the golden swing, he had some bright spots down there. wasn't particularly great or anything, but he was okay throughout. Uh, and I think, again, there's, there's just too many things that add up for me here uh, to like him, plus potential uh, health advantage as well. I know Ota's a more natural hard quarter, but I've been saying to, for my patrons uh, the last few days, throw out the data, of course, you can use tennis abstract stuff, whole break percentage, ELO ratings, but these hard courts are almost unique to the rest of the swing, especially Miami with the heat and humidity and then Indian Wells where the wind can pick up and the night day splits. And these courts are just, it's more about uh, history at the event for players than it is about overall hard court data. So I think that in that sense, Lazo Jerry is a nice play here against uh, someone like Oscar Ote. I'm in agreement. The only thing I would say is uh, Jera is a notorious slow starter and Ata is surprisingly good in the first set, uh, I think. So Jera, I feel like as a player, it's always darkest before dawn. <laughs> so, so I feel like he's like coming back a lot or just battling and grinding. Um, so he, he might not be a front runner the entire the entire match. Ott had a had a knee problem against Jacopo Berrettini. And Al Capulco right. retired, retired in, the, yeah. in the third set after, I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I think he was tracking a ball or something, but didn't look particularly good. Retired pretty quickly in the third set. Yeah, minus 165 looks really good there, even without, not even without the injury. But I don't think the injury, even if you remove the injury not being baked into this price, I think it's decent value. Then you have the fact that you bake it in, it should be even lower. Yeah, I, I like Lazo here. I like, I, I do. Um, and heat and humidity, which I don't think you get in Indian Wells. That's more Miami, but he's not bothered by hotter conditions either. So uh, there's not really a weather or a surface uh, problem with There's a surface problem, but not a court speed problem. There's no weather problem. There's no injury problem versus Ote where all those things uh, are kind of issues. So, yeah, I mean, it, laying juice with Jerry on a hard court seems like a stupid thing to do. But I think contextually, I'm OK with it. He'll, he may lose. But I'm okay with it. All right. Well, I'll circle it back to uh, to my picks here. And uh, I got Adrian Manorino, um, uh, Dominic team, over 22 and a half at minus 110 and over two and a half sets at plus 130. Uh, as a former champ, these conditions obviously suit team, but he's a shell of that former champ uh, and can be ground down by a player like Manorino. On the flip side, Manorino has done anything but thrive in this tournament over time. Uh, I think this is line right at around pick uh, and i think they're both live to get a set here and uh, and play one of the longer matches of the first round yeah in, in, in agreement there i'm aligned with you hard hard to say which side is better but probably a good spot for the over i mean in theory these courts should be even better for team than they were when he won but we'll see he's he's just struggling i, I almost want to take the manorino money line 
um, as a pick. Look, Manorino likes quicker courts, but almost in a Medvedev sense, not him being as good as Medvedev, but in a similar kind of vein, he has the ability to really grind you down. He has that compact backswing and he just pushes things back when need be. And he can extend rallies. And and for me, team just doesn't have the weapons right now. And when he does hit big, um, there has been no consistency to it. I think we saw one match where he won a close one on clay, where it's like, okay, we'll look at better. And then it completely abandoned him again. So really against a hard quarter who can really grind you down, make a ton of balls and work on that lack of, you know, endurance or fitness. It's not, that's especially the stamina isn't where it used to be for team. To me, I think Manorito at a pick is, is a nice play here. Uh, yeah, I don't hate it. I, I honestly have no idea who's going to win this match. So, <laughs> I mean, Manorino is a battler and uh team cannot survive battles. So, <laughs> I think uh, I think that aligns with your pick. Our last favorite before we go to the dog bombs here, because people love the dog bombs. Uh, Gregor Barrer, money line at minus one forty five versus Jack Sock. Uh, it's a little nerve wracking taking the Frenchman on an outdoor hard court, non quick conditions. But give me the informed player versus the guy who lost to a real estate agent a couple weeks ago. To me, it's a total overvaluation of Sock here on American soil. His only recent wins in this tournament have come against true clay guys and Juan Serendolo. Last year and Fabiano in 2018. I mean, this is, I, I, I'll back the French from here and not feel bad about it. Tough, tough selling of Picotich. I think he's, he's a almost like a real estate investment banker or something like that. Real estate agent is, is tough. I'm a T. I've seen that so much, but he was a good player. He was really solid. And, uh, that was cool that he beat, he beat Sock. Got a lot of, got a lot of creds for that. Another match, like I was talking about earlier, that just doesn't feel like a Masters 1000 match. It's gonna be tough for both guys. I like again. I just wish you the best, Dave. This this is gonna be so tough, such a tough watch. Both of their like lower levels, if it happens, is is really tough. Socks can have a ton of trouble on on backhand. Barrera is is pretty liable to struggle too, and uh, it's a first round, so Socks should be fit. Well, well, good luck. Yeah, I'm with uh, I'm with you on this one, Dave. For the first time on these iffy plays, <laughs> I think you know we saw it especially in Delray. It's like he's got a set in him. Does he have two sets, three sets in him against anyone at this point in uh, in slow conditions where the points take longer, therefore the games take longer, therefore the set takes longer? I don't know. I might be fading Jackie Boy here. Not like a five unit bomb hammer max play, but I think a little sprinkle that uh, that fade is nice. Uh, for sure. And yeah, Avery, we, we gave uh, the real estate agent some love a couple podcasts ago when in the moment when he did, we did win. We kind of defended the... Uh, him a little bit uh, uh that said the fact remains he is not a, a tour pro not a moment. full-time pro that's for sure that's for sure so all right well avery i think has to hop off now and john are gonna hop into the dog bombs everyone loves a dog bomb so avery thank you for for coming on with us once again and uh, i will actually see you uh, in indian wells i think yeah thanks again i will see you soon all right, see him. And then there were two john let me kick off our dog bomb segment here with a, a man i love to talk about on this podcast, podcast favorite, because he has a cool nickname for us, Jason Kubler. McCubler! McCubler! <laughs> Moneyline, plus 168 against Lorenzo Sinego. Uh, I get that these slower conditions for the more clay-oriented Sinego uh, will will help him, but uh, Kubler is a more pure hard quarter and uh, a bet-on player for the last six months. At, at this price, I'll sell high on Sinego who's probably getting a little too much love for his win against the slumping FAA recently. John, what do you think? Lo- love the way you put that. When I messaged and said uh, a lot of the matches you're adding to the rundown, I'm liking the dog bombs were where we're going to be in agreement here a lot. Perfect description of Sonego. When it gets onto a quick hardcore, he can stick with guys, right? He's got that surf forehand club. We saw it against Felix. He he just took a guy who isn't the greatest returner in the world in Felix Ogeria Seaman. Just didn't really let him have a look. Right. That's not the case here. He's not the greatest in slow, hardcore conditions. He's okay on clay because he's got that natural clay court upbringing. He's got some spin. Like, I get it. You get to quick hard courts. He's got the serve forehand. You get to slow hard courts. What, you know, has him standing out from the rest of the field? Like you said, Kubler, again, probably a little bit uh, better on quick hard courts as well. But this is another case of degrees. Um, I think he's better in terms of rally tolerance. I think he's better on the baseline from both wings being solid. Senegal's more of a forehand guy. Yeah, I, I agree here. I think Kubler, like you said, the more natural hard quarter that can adapt to slower conditions, even if he prefers quick conditions versus Senegal, I don't think does so nearly as well. And you're getting plus money here. I mean, you don't need to win this bet 70% of the time to break even in the long run. It's It's a solid bet. 
All right, well, let's talk about uh, another clay quarter versus uh, hard quarter here, but I'm going the, the flip side here uh, with uh, Zapata, Morales, Moneyline, plus 61 versus Ugo Umber. Uh, the return-oriented Spaniard hot off his red-hot golden swing run that had him in a 500 semifinal in Reno in Rio. Now taking on the up-and-down Frenchman who just played a four-hour four challenger final on Sunday, that he lost from two match points up. I had him plus 225 on the money line. Uh, thank you, Ugo, for that loss. Um, quick <laughs> travel <laughs> to California here off that. Um, Zapata had last week off. Uh, Umber uh, hits the ball flat, as you talk about on uh, on this podcast, John. Uh, small margin of error to get over the net here uh, at these long rallies um, at the price. I- I'll take this, the, the Spaniard. I think these are... are, are uh, courts where he can draw, you know, draw out the the errors from the error prone Hugo. Yeah, uh, court change. Let's be real here. We're not changing surfaces, but you may as well be indoors to outdoors. Quicker court, I believe. Where was it? Was it Pau? I believe it was Pau. Which again, French indoor hard courts tend. Uh, Shell Boulg wasn't this year, but um, most French indoor hard courts tend to play a little bit quicker. Now you're coming to mud slow courts. You play a flat ball in a high bouncing court, not going to work out for you. Play a guy who can get a ton back, you're going to net a ton of balls just by sheer numbers. Um, yeah, I think that this is a good spot for Zapata. And one of the big things I want to talk about, you know, I'm a big matchup guy as well, not just, uh, you know, looking at, at just the, the the numbers or data from you know, the, the hold break or whatever. I want to look at the matchups. One thing I love about Bernabe in this spot is one, the form is there, as you talked about from the golden swing. One thing I noticed on the golden swing was he was taking a lot of time away from opponents. And I was talking to um, someone I, I, I talked to frequently on tennis Twitter saying, man, he's added power. He's hitting hard. I go, he's not even hammering the ball though on that forehand. He's taking it early, right? It's, it's not so much a counter punches. He is adding, he's got more pace than he used to, but he's adding, you know, the fact that he takes it early, which steals time from you. He doesn't let you, he, he takes a step away from you as you try to get across the court to kind of cover uh, what he, or what, what you want to do against him. And it kind of allows him to draw more short balls, which he can attack. Anyone can attack. Even pushers can put away short balls. That is really what I like about this matchup here is that it's not just a pure clay court defensive guy where Ugo, if he's on his game and not committing a ton of errors, he's going to be on the front foot. There's a chance that Bernabe is going to serve well. He spot serves well, and he can absolutely take the ball early and dictate in his own right now. And that's an added dimension to his game that should really set him apart from Ugo. Between the travel, the change of uh, court, the dramatic uh, change of court speeds, um, and the matchup profile and Bernabe's form and that ability to, to play more offensive tennis, I mean, I have this closer to a pick. And where is he? Plus 160, plus 170? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if you're ever going to go multi unit on a dog, this is probably the one to do it on. Win or lose, again, someone messaged me today. I, I, I bet a, a two unit play that lost 6 2 6 love. Okay. I mean, yeah, she got her ass kicked. Doesn't matter, though. It's one play. I move on. I'm happy with the play. I'm happy even if he loses to Ugo and Bear here. If I'm betting a plus 160, we're happier if he wins, obviously, and a little bit wealthier, slightly. Um, but this is a good bet. I think all things considered, it is a good bet against Ugo. Yeah, I agree. And and if you want to, um, you know, if you're a little scared of uh, the Spaniard getting over the finish line, maybe, you know, that initial uh, set uh, adjusting to the new surface, maybe a first set uh, money line play for the Spaniard is, uh, is a look. Hmm. Uh, if you're oh. a little more timid on the overall money line. One more note here. Sorry. A lot of times, you know, the market is efficient. The market knows what it's doing. But a lot of times markets are based on data and stats. And you ask yourself, where am I finding the value? Why am I seeing a misprice here, right? The market is tends to be efficient sometimes. This is this is a perfect spot of he's being given credit for being in good form, going to a hard court challenger final, despite that. But, you know, you're not baking in the court speed. You're not baking in the, the travel. You're not baking in those qualitative factors. That's where you're finding your edge in this match, right? I We get it. Ugo's a better hardcore player. Yes. He had a good week on hard courts, yes, but dig into it, and that's where you're going to find why Bernabe is showing you value here. Absolutely love it, John. Well, let's keep it going because uh, i got another dog bomb here, and that's uh, Lestien Moneyline plus 161 versus Russo Now, routine listeners of this podcast know I've gone from a Russo tout to a Russo fade, <laughs> uh, and I'm back in my bag here. Uh, Lestien is a tricky baseline player, and Russo is no stranger to unforced errors. I think the Frenchman is very live uh, in this match uh, at this number. Yeah. Um, 
Agreed. I, I, I'm going to keep this one a little bit shorter so we don't uh, go too far into time because I think there's a couple more I'd like to touch on um, as well in my own right. Perfect uh, handicap for me. Rusevori, I think, came up better on quicker courts, has been okay on slower courts where he's got more time, but against a guy who slices and dices, against a guy who's going to to throw variety at you, can't just hit that big ball that you want to hit. You've got a game plan. You've got to be patient, not his strong suit. Exact, exact handicap. Completely agree. All right. Now, who do you got here, John? Look, this guy's been out of form, not just for this year, not just since the start of 2020 for a while, but, but Pedro Martinez is a massive dog to Marc-Andrea Huesler. And this comes back to the point I was trying to make with um, Ugo Umber. Marc-Andrea Huesler is getting a lot of credit here for being the better hardcore player. Plain and simple. And Martinez is out of form. I get why he's the dog. He probably should be a slight dog. But Marc-Andrea Huesler has struggled on quick hard courts this year. And ace previews, Steve, uh, you know, one of the guys I talk to on a regular basis, um, or used to talk to a little more frequently, he's busy these days uh, with work and, and his own service. But he made the point that even in favorable conditions this year, Huesler's not looked good. He lost in straight sets on medium slow to Bruver. Okay, that's excusable. Home guy, not your favorite surface. But then he went to Marseille, which is quicker. Lost three and two to Barrer. Then he goes to Dubai. Again, quicker courts. Doesn't even take the match over. Loses in straight sets to Sonego. I think he was broken three times in that match. Now you're going to put him on mud slow courts where his serve and forehand, his only two weapons, are going to be eaten into by the courts in terms of their power. He does not have rally tolerance. He hits a flatter ball and he's going to, you know, he's already more erratic than a guy like Umber. It's why he hasn't achieved those heights yet or reached those heights. So you're going to get a ton of errors. He's off his favorite court speed. He's, he's been out of form on courts that favor him and you're going to make Martinez plus 175. Look, I know he's been garbage. This is not me backing Martinez. This is a fade of Huesler. So I've been telling myself, be more patient. You'll find a better fade and, you know, the price will be better and you won't have to lose money to make it the next round. I can't wait another round on this one. This this just looks like too good of an opportunity for a guy like Pedro Martinez to finally find a win against someone who's being given credit for their hard court success earlier in the season in Australia with his United Cup wins and late last season when he made a few runs on indoor quick courts. He's been really bad and these courts are going to expose it. And he, when he comes to net, he's really slow and his hands aren't that great for someone who does try and come in on occasion. His game's just not good at out of his serve forehand, which again lose a ton of their potency on these courts. Yeah, and, and Martinez is you know he's routinely been here now uh, at Indian Wells, so you know he's a little accustomed. I'm trying to find Hustler's Indian Wells record. Um, not... Has he played a, a, the main draw yet here? That's what I was I trying to find out. Played a main draw because he's been. It took until late last year to get above challenger for him. No, he's never played here which another advantage to fading him. There you go. So yeah, love it, John. What else you got? Oh boy. Am I going to get burned again by the Sir Andy Murray fade? Yes, I am. <laughs> if this was $2.75 or plus 175, even plus 185. Okay. I'll leave it alone. Andy Murray first match in a tournament's very good. He doesn't mind slower courts. He's a hard court player. Echeverry isn't. But plus 250 for a guy with a serve and forehand combo, prefers clay, big swings, but that's going to be okay on these courts because Murray's not the most powerful player and they're slow, so he's not going to be rushed. He's got form, so I mean, if you want to play the confidence narrative angle, you can't quantify, I can't quantify it that well, so I, I don't. But if you do, that's another plus. He just lost a final to Nico Adi down in Santiago. I mean, he's got a serve and forehand. Like, there's, he, he can... Do something. Look, I'm not saying he's going to beat Murray, but I just I can't let this get over or up to plus two fifty. Kid's a good player, and we saw Sedundolo in Miami make a run last year out of nowhere on a hard court because it was slow enough for him, and he had what a big forehand to dictate with, and the court speeds were slow enough that you know a, t a clay player with the big backswing had the time to line up uh, those backswings and take those big cuts of the ball. Don't don't be shocked. Don't be stunned if Echeverry pulls this upset. It's more than possible. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great sell high uh, moment for Andy Murray. Obviously, uh, you know, peak of the market right now off his uh, Doha run, um, where I mean, <laughs> he really was nine lives that week. I mean, he should have lost multiple times uh, before that final. Um, so you know, 
if you're just like box score watching and seeing he got to the final, I think there was a fair amount of luck baked into to that run as well. So you're getting a, you know, probably an over evaluation here for, uh, for Mr. Murray. And uh, I agree with you. The, I would say the only thing I would say about Sarundalo is I think maybe slow heart is his best surface after that, uh, golden swing run. Oh. He produced zero he results. Yeah. <laughs> he looks off, doesn't he? The forehand lost so much power. He looks like he's still hurt or he is hurt and he didn't stop playing or a lot like Daniel Galan. Those are two guys, by the way, to look to fade. Uh, we don't know who Galan plays yet because he's playing a qualifier, I believe. And we don't, we can't fade soon until to the second round, but there's a little look ahead for you. Um, I think we're going to try to record more episodes for this big event too, instead of just once weekly. So we should, we'll talk about that. I assume if we get another episode before the second round, we'll touch on Fran Sundolo if he has a good opponent to fade him with. Um, but a, a quick note too, that th- that one is not, I haven't locked in yet. I know I'm going to be playing fading Huesler. I'm not positive I'm playing Echeverri, but the number intrigues me. Um, same thing here with Fonini against Ben Shelton. Look, oh man, I love Ben Shelton. Not many people like Fonini. Uh, there are a few out there that I know of uh, that are big Fabio Fonini fans. But look, I get it. <laughs> it's like backing Fabio Fonini against a, a prospect like Shelton. But Shelton, to me, is almost like the male Alicia or Alicia Parks. You get him outdoors onto a slow court and he's beatable, right? That serve, which sets up his whole game. It still plays, but it's not as damaging. He lost to Runa. In Acapulco, I believe in his first match, or did he win a match yeah. there prior? Yeah, first he match. lost to, to Giron in Delray Beach. These are medium, slow, and slow courts. Indian Wells is like really slow, probably close to Acapulco during the day, um, but it's still really slow. He hasn't shown us anything on slow courts. He's like minus 400. He's overvalued Look, I against Fanini. I, I agree he's with you. Not, yeah, he's not great, Fanini, but he's good on slow courts. He's talented. And the one big thing matchup-wise I want to touch on here, he's got a very compact backhand, and he's got a very good backhand, and he redirects pace down the line beautifully with it. All of a sudden, that big serve and forehand that Shelton can probably hit through the courts, he's going cross-court into that backhand. It's not as big of an advantage as you may think it is because Fonini has, number one, it's a good backhand. Number two, it's compact. A lot like why Nick Kyrgios has so much success on grass. The serve forehand are obvious. He can come into net and he's got good hands. Those are all good things on grass, but his compact backhand means a player's generally weaker wing when they don't have to take a big backswing and they can guide and counterpunch well with that. All of a sudden, there's no weakness anymore. And that's one thing that really worries me. One, Ben Shelton in general is a fade on slow courts when he's valued like this. And he hasn't shown us anything. And two, like the big matchup advantage that a lefty huge serve has kind of loses a bit of that against a strong backhand uh, like Fabio Fanini. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's going to win the match. Uh, I actually think he looked right. uh, pretty good in Acapulco, showed a lot more variety uh, than he did in uh, the AO. But, uh, I mean, at four games, I definitely don't want to lay four games because I think Fanini could squeak out a set here, gets a, you know, uh, he's, you know, Sheldon is error prone, uh, and these are going to be longer rallies that could draw those out. He could definitely want to set, and then the four, you know, it's going to be tough to get there because, uh, you know, how many times is he going to break? So, um, right. I, I, to me, it, 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 I don't really want to back Fonini, <laughs> but I certainly am not like packaging Shelton in a parlay, and I'm not laying the four. Right. Uh, it's it's one of those things too. I, I keep in mind, like, I don't want to talk too much about the narrative stuff because that, that'll talk people into bets that you really it doesn't have a guaranteed bearing on it. But again, a narrative, there are a few guys that are narrative players, Kyrgios, Fonini, these emotional guys. Fonini likes playing crowds. We saw it in Rio. He always, he he made a deep run there and he said, the crowds here are incredible. I love the crowds. I feed off the energy. They were hardcore pro Alcaraz against him. Didn't matter. That guy, whether you love it, whether the crowd loves him or hate him, if they're energetic, he feeds off that. He can feed off your negative energy too. You're going to have an American crowd there cheering on one of their better prospects. I'm just saying, man, like don't poke Fabio Fanini because the talent does come out. Uh, if you cheer him on, it goads, you know, it lifts him. And if you cheer against him, it's like a poke and a bear and it, it kind of wakes him up a little bit. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Not saying that it's a, a gung-ho reason to make the bet, but certainly something that could uh, also uh, help him if you're going to bet him. Well, I certainly hope Shelton wins because I'd much rather watch him when I get there this weekend <laughs> than Fonini. 
Yeah, because then uh, Bonini will tank his second round match, right? He'll he'll have play one great match. He'll be like, oh my god, he's he's motivated this week. You go to watch him, and he's just going to put up a one and one stinker where he's like walking and sagging his shoulders between every point. <laughs> you just know that's coming, right? <laughs> my wife might want to see Bonini though uh, versus Sheldon. <laughs> Um, do you want to round of the finish with an outright pick? You want to pick someone to win this thing, John? Yeah, sure. Um, by I think my favorite price on what I'm using Unibet here, uh, different prices from I think the Bavada you had. I do think there's value, um, in the Alcaraz Ojelia same thing I alluded to earlier. That is going to be my best strategy. It's not necessarily one player. But I think if you lock it in before Alcaraz withdraws, there's some books that don't even have these prices up because of that question mark. But if he plays and he looks okay and the strain or or pull or whatever it was was as mild as they said, $7 or plus 600 is value, period, for a guy that made the semis last year, one of the best three or four players in the world on the opposite half from Medvedev. Okay, on a slow court, none the, like no less. If he is hurt, Ojeel Yassim at 17 to 1, again, on the other side of the draw from Medvedev, um, on a hard court, that's value. Like 17 to 1 on him with no Djokovic in the draw and with Med on the other side and no Nadal, that's value on one of the top 10 players in the world uh, in Felix, even if he hasn't looked as strong as he did at the end of last year. So that that's my, it's not one player, but it's it's kind of a strategy. Um, I think they're both in the first quarter too. So, you know, one of them will be out by the quarterfinal, but uh, I do like both their prices um, there. And it's chalky, but I think there's still value. Yeah, I mean, if Alcaraz is in form, uh, he's gonna win this thing. If he if he's not, <laughs> I mean that's a fact. Uh, but if he's not, um, if he does pull out um, or has some sort of um, you know injury plagued um, form, um, I like Sitsipas, man. Like, yep, yep. His road is like just guys he's beaten in the past before. Um, I don't know what his overall head to head against Nori is. We mentioned Nori's beat him in the past, but. I just, I, I mean, I just think he's got a pretty easy pathway to the, the semis, and then once you get to that point, um, it's going to be a, you know, not not a toss up, but uh, you're already, you're almost there. So, I like Sitsipas uh, plus seven fifty. I think it's a, a pretty good number uh, for a guy um, who's been, you know, one of the better players of twenty twenty three. Less, yeah, uh, I, go ahead. And didn't he? I mean, didn't he play Daniil? Uh, on a quicker court already this year. Do they play at the Australian? No, they, where no, they didn't. Uh, where am I thinking of? I think he played him recently or in the last couple of years, um, where he started to come to net a bit more and he didn't look nearly as befuddled against Medvedev. Now you add the fact that he's in his kind of element. Um, it was last year at the uh, the what's it called the Masters Cup, uh, which is the ATP uh, Finals. And Sitsi Pass beat him in a third set tiebreak. I think everyone beat Medvedev in a third set tiebreak there, right? He lost all three of his matches in a third set tiebreak. Uh, and at Cincinnati, on in quicker conditions that would favor Medvedev, again, Sitsi Pass beat him. The head to head is 7 4 Medvedev. The last two, both on quicker hard courts, have gone to Sitsi Pass because he's adjusted that strategy. He's coming into net more and he's not letting Medvedev frustrate him into hitting errors by just running 10 feet behind the baseline. He's coming to net. He's developed, you know, softer hands at the net. And if you're going to stand 10 feet behind the baseline, he'll hit a big, uh, you know, inside out forehand into a corner, come in, take your easy uh, push kind of uh, shot over the center of the net and just tap it into the open court. You can't get to. Again, two in a row out of Sissy Pass. Head-to-head's not my thing, but if you look at the context as to why he's improved that uh, head-to-head the last couple times... That's why he's made the necessary adjustments. His serve is still big. He's still going to hold comfortably plenty of times. You know, Medvedev's not going to give you free holds every time, but his serve is big enough. Uh, he's going to be more comfortable here than in Cincinnati or in Milan. Is it Milan now or Turin that they host the, the finals? Either way, he's going to be more comfortable here than he was in those two matches. And he won those two matches. I think he's got a great chance to beat uh, Medvedev. I'd probably play the outright with Pass here. And then if they play head-to-head, Forget a hedge. I'd probably double down because I think you're going to have value in that head-to-head matchup individually too in that what quarter or semi semifinal. Yeah. Now, Sitsipas uh, though has, has to improve his uh, five and four overall at Indian Wells. Uh, he's only made yeah. the quarters here, so that is. Isn't it uh, odd that he? 
he he does well at the Australian Open and then struggles at Indian Wells. <laughs> it's just like what, dude? You're a clay quarter that likes slower courts that needs time on the backhand to get the slowest hard court in the world. You, you've struggled that, but the quicker one down in Australia, you, you've pretty much made the semis or almost every year in the last couple of years. So odd, but I still think that he profiles well and he's got a good draw. This is the year for him to do it, man. No Rafa, no Djokovic. Alcaraz could be hurt on the other end of the draw. Medvedev isn't great on slow courts. This is your year, Steph. Yeah, and there's no, I mean, last year he lost to Brooksby and there's no like young upstart like that right. who's like hungry for, you know, it's it's a lot of guys uh, you can't trust outside of Nori, who I think is a little trustworthy. Um, but And he's also know. improved his game vastly in the last two years, right? So a couple of those four losses were were when he was more one-dimensional, um, I think. Uh, he's he's improved his game. And I used to be a Cincy Pass hater, especially on quick courts. And I, it made me money on fast indoors and on grass because he was still priced as a massive, massive top five favorite when he wasn't that player. Give him credit. I mean, he's 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 turned me into a fan. He's he's improved his game a lot. And, uh, and I think it helps him even in slower conditions, right? Being more dynamic. All right. Well, uh, we are going to try to be back uh, on the mics here a little more routinely uh, for this Indian Wells run. Um, so if you made it here and you like what you heard and uh, we cashed some tickets for you, uh, make sure you give us a, a subscribe, a follow, uh, a rating, a review even. Um, John, you can find him at JR Tweets Tennis at Tidbits Tennis. Uh, you can find our show handle at MP9 Tennis. John, any final thoughts here? No, enjoy the enjoy the fortnight, and then of course enjoy uh, the one after with Miami Sunshine Doubles here, big events. Yes, and uh, I can't wait to to go. I will be there this weekend. So if uh, you're listening to this podcast and you're going to be there as well, uh, hit me up. I'll say hi. Uh, until next time, see you in the court or at Indian Wells. <laughs>